0: morning Central. just want to take a second if you're worshiping in person, online, or if you're in Oakwood Chapel, we're so grateful that you're here and uh, worshiping with us this morning. So uh, my name is Haley. I'm the Connection Pastor here at Central. I've been in this role for about two and a half years and praise God, I think I can finally say I know what I'm doing. Also, if you know me, you know that I'm an extreme extrovert. Do we have any extroverts in the house? Anybody? Maybe nobody, okay. Um, so for me, peopling is sort of the equivalent to breathing. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, so when I found out that a lot of my job would be like meeting with people like you, people in our congregation, getting to know your faith stories and backgrounds, hearing how you've connected with the Lord in the past and helping you use your gifts um, in the church and find a place of belonging, I literally had the thought like, wow. I get paid to breathe. It truly is my lifeblood. Uh, but when I'm not working, at least over the last like 13 months or so, I've been trying to keep my tiny human alive, which is actually like harder than it looks um, for any of you who are dog parents out there that maybe got a dog um, and thought what we thought like. Oh, like this is gonna be a really good transition to having a baby. Like, it's basically the same thing. I'll just stop you there. (laughs) Learn from experience is not the same. (laughs) But uh, either way, this is a picture of my family up here my husband Tyson, our son Theo, and our crazy but lovable dog, uh, Winnie. So, I was also born and raised in Sioux Falls just right across the street from here, actually. And I loved living in Sioux Falls. I loved my teenage and young adult years, um, especially like having the freedom to be selfish with my time, with my energy, with my money. I could pretty much do whatever I wanted, when I wanted, within reasons, of course. Um, and then I went to Northwestern College in Orange City, Iowa. I met my husband Tyson there. We dated, got married, and once we got married, we moved to his home turf of Holland, Michigan. And for me, that year, especially, that first year of marriage, was pretty hard because I learned that it just like isn't about me anymore. <laughs> we had to share life together, which meant we had to share things from like toothpaste to also like having to work our conflict out. Otherwise, the living situation would get incredibly awkward. <laughs> I also couldn't just like, go shopping anytime I wanted because we like, had bills to pay. I couldn't just hang out with my friends like I did when I was in college if I wanted to just like, ignore Tyson. We had to work our stuff out. So for me, marriage was this sort of de-centering of myself. And now, if I thought it was hard for j- with just the two of us, and that required setting myself aside... I was in for a rude awakening. For me, becoming a parent, becoming a mom was a reminder that I just like don't really have the option of being selfish anymore. As parents, we learned pretty early on that if we wanted to have our lives just like centered around ourselves, that would actually just break down our family. I had to keep tracking uh keep I had to keep stop keeping track. All right. I had to stop keeping track of how many times I changed Theo's diaper or I did a middle of the night feeding or how many times I helped Theo so Tyson could take a nap. Keeping score of this or that or who got more sleep was just going to lead to resentment and it would actually just tear our family apart. The fact of the matter was the second that Theo was born It wasn't about us anymore. We had to learn as parents how to love Theo as best as we could, even if it meant setting ourselves aside. That's a hard reality though, isn't it? Setting ourselves aside in order to love others. I think as we look to scripture today though, we'll see that it's actually a necessary and healthy part of living and relating to people. So, if you felt out of sync with your relational world, if you felt like you're not like connecting to people in a way that feels like flourishing, if you've noticed tension or seen that maybe your community is being torn apart, maybe it's because you're not living in the freedom that the Holy Spirit can provide. This isn't a problem that only exists right now. We've been studying the book of Galatians for the last few weeks in a series called Free. So we've talked about what we're free from and now we've sort of made this pivot into what we're free to when we choose to follow Jesus. Today we see in chapter 5 the Galatians were struggling to love each other well because of their own self-centered views of what it meant to be free. These views were so self-centered that they were losing sight of the gospel. It was turning into an every man for himself situation. And it's here where Paul teaches us something new about freedom. True freedom isn't about living selfishly, but loving others selflessly. So we're going to pick up, uh, we're gonna focus in on Galatians chapter five, verses 13 through 17. So if you have your Bible, feel free to open uh, to that right now. Again, it's chapter five, 13 through 17. I'm choosing not to um, discuss verse 12 from the stage today. If you would like to dive into that deeper, feel free to discuss that with one of my male colleagues. I'll let you uh, laugh at that joke later once you read the verse. So let's dive in. For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self indulgence, but through love become slaves to one another. For the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. Would you pray with me? God, we love you. God, we ask that you would reveal your truth to us today. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our lives to your word, your truth, and ultimately your love. Amen. Okay, so let's talk about what leads Paul uh, to beg the Galatians to remember to love their neighbor. I mean, he uses language so strong here when he says, when he's talking about biting and devouring one another, that it's the same kind of language we would use if we're talking about wild animal-like behavior or even like human cannibalism. And these were all Christians, This wasn't an insider versus outsider debate or a Christians versus non-Christians issue. These were all Jesus followers who had different views of freedom and weren't actually loving Jesus very well. Now, it's actually likely there were three different groups within the Jesus community of Galatia. There were the Jewish Christians, the Judaizers, the ones who were trying to convince the Gentile Christians to become circumcised. Because Judaism was a protected religion under Roman rule, the Judaizers were afraid that if Gentile Christians weren't circumcised but could still maintain a unique Gentile Christian identity, then the Jewish Christians, the Judaizers' reputation, would be compromised for um, interacting with the Gentiles because they would often share meals together or meet in each other's homes. So it wasn't out of love that the Judaizers were forcing circumcision but out of a self-centered desire for their image to be protected. It's like, now that we have Chick-fil-A in Sioux Falls, why would anybody resort to slim chickens? Or or worse, like McDonald's spicy chicken sandwich? Because we have Chick-fil-A now, we're forcing people to become Chick-fil-A fanatics, and we don't want to associate with those other people. Then there were the new Gentile Christians, the ones who were being persuaded to become circumcised. They were trying to rely on their own ability to follow the rules in order to live out their faith. Okay, then we actually have one other group of Gentile Christians who were using their newfound faith to just do whatever they wanted. We can see if we look ahead to verse 17 that says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So we see that Paul is referring to people who were using their freedom to just do anything they felt like doing. So these three groups were spending so much time arguing about what it looks like to have freedom in Christ, that they weren't loving each other well they were quite literally tearing each other apart. They were so consumed with their own self-centered version of the right way of following Jesus that anything else was just wrong. But like we aren't ever guilty of this, are we? We're never so concerned with being right or having our own way that it tears our communities apart, are we? Paul says this, the whole law is summed up in a single commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. Maybe his point was that how we relate to each other is just as important religiously as how we relate to God. If we are living a life trying to be right or trying to live a selfish version of freedom rather than trying to be loving, I think we're missing the point of the message of Jesus and misunderstanding what it means to be free. True freedom must be used to love others. Now, a lot of people think that loving others is just a theme that we find in the New Testament. But actually, when Paul says to love your neighbor as yourself, he's quoting Leviticus 19.18 which is actually a series of many commandments that talk about actions that produce love of neighbor. So we see this as a thread through scripture through and through. Of course, Jesus also pointed to this during his earthly ministry when one of the great teachers of the law came to him and asked, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Jesus pointed to love and how love should inform everything we do, even how we read and interpret the law. It wasn't that he said the law wasn't important, but rather the law offered guidelines on how to love God and how to love your neighbor. But because humans are sinful, we we couldn't live up to those laws and failed at loving God and loving our neighbor as we should. So instead, Jesus pointed to relationships as the key to loving God and loving our neighbor Jesus extended the boundaries of what the law was supposed to produce by pushing the call to love even further. For example, the law says not to murder, but Jesus says we should not even be angry or utter harsh words. The law says when taking vengeance, we should not exceed the damage that was done to us. But Jesus says we shouldn't retaliate at all. Now, I think it's important here to clarify what I mean by love. The word gets thrown around and we often take it to mean like falling in love or a mushy-gushy sort of feeling of affection. That's not what I'm talking about here. The love that Jesus pointed to was always self-sacrificing. It required commitment and action, and it pointed to the kind of steadfast love that God loves us with. And Jesus makes it a command. The freedom we have from sin is one that must be lived out by loving others. We cannot seek a righteous and holy life as isolated individuals if we are sinning in how we deal with our neighbor. A problem occurs when we value rule keeping, private religious living, or our own self-centered way of living above relationship to God and to others. So, If true freedom is understood through love, then what gets in the way of that love? What is a barrier to truly being free to love our neighbor? The biggest barrier that keeps us from being free to love is ourselves. I'll say that again. The biggest barrier that keeps us from being free to love is ourselves. Paul uses this word flesh or the Greek word sarx throughout his writings. A lot of the time we misunderstand flesh to only be referring to like our physical bodies. But when Paul talks about flesh, he means the whole self under the power of sin with all its self-serving desires and motives. The flesh is trying to meet our own needs selfishly apart from Christ. And that's not how we love God or our neighbor The flesh is desire and love turned inward, and it always leads to the breakdown of community. Bishop Michael Curry said this, the opposite of love isn't hate, it's selfishness. I've seen this reality in my own life. I don't know if you're a fan of the Enneagram or not, but I've actually learned a ton about myself and the ways that I'm prone to sin as a type three. I've learned that I can become consumed with image, with efficiency, or the projection of success, even at the expense of those around me. So being married, becoming a mom for me was a harsh reality because I couldn't even like, pretend to have it all together anymore. Also, with a baby, just efficiency goes out the window, and you have to be okay with having spit up all over your clothes at all points in time. (laughs) So my self-centered life was just not gonna cut it anymore. Too often, our freedom is only used for ourselves. Verse 13 says, "'For you were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh.' A lot of the time, we use our freedom to keep our image protected, to keep us thinking we're right and everyone else is wrong, to give us pleasure, or to keep ourselves in power over other people. I'll let you fill in the blank. Where might you be getting in the way of your freedom to love others? Throughout Galatians, the word alalon, which means one another, is used six times. It's actually used four times, just in chapter five, verses 13 through 17. I think Paul so clearly saw a community that was oriented around themselves, and he was trying hard to remind them that the freedom they have in Christ means nothing if they're tearing each other apart because of their own self-centeredness. Self-centered love happens when Jesus is dethroned from the center of our lives and we place ourselves there instead. If you look at the image that will come up on the screen, you'll see that a self-centered life is just that. The self is on the throne of our life, and Jesus is in our life, he's just at our feet. All the little circles represent the chaos and the breakdown in community that we experience. We might use our freedom that we have in the gospel to serve ourselves, to rely on ourselves, or to indulge ourselves, just like the different groups in Galatia were doing. Right now, we're living in a world built on self-centered love, indifference, and even hatred. We see this on a big scale in wars, racism, murder of innocents, mistreatment of refugees, mass shootings. But we also see this like, in our homes, in our communities, and dare I say, our churches? Gossip, slander of anyone who disagrees with us, a culture of consumerism and convenience, idolatry of our own time, money, and even placing our beliefs and values on the throne of our lives where Jesus should be. If this list makes you uncomfortable, I would take a look at verses 19 through 21. Maybe what I just listed is our own sort of modern day version of the works of the flesh. I do want to say, though, there's a difference between self centeredness and love for yourself as we are called to do. I'm not saying we become doormats and lose ourselves to the needs of the world. Love and care for ourselves is very important. But that love and care interrupts our true freedom when it becomes so much that we can't see the image of God in our neighbor because we're too centered in ourselves. Okay, so I'm prone to center myself where Jesus should be, and that gets in the way of truly being free. So what am I supposed to do about it? Praise God, we are not left to ourselves The only way to live in freedom is to submit your life to Jesus. I think what the Judaizers, the new Gentile believers, and the believers who were doing anything they wanted had in common was that they all had a need for the Holy Spirit to give them the power to do what God intended them to do, which was to love their neighbor. 2 Corinthians 3.17 says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. The moment you decided to commit your life to Jesus, you invited Jesus to sit on the throne of your life. You also received the Holy Spirit to keep you in constant intimacy and relationship with Jesus, who's the source of freedom and the source of selfless love. We cannot live free in any capacity, especially the capacity to love our neighbors if we are living life apart from Jesus. To live in freedom is to love Jesus and to submit our lives to his self-giving love. To love Jesus is to let the Holy Spirit transform us from being inward, me-focused to being focused on the other. By that love, we can begin to see greater order in our community instead of division and chaos. This doesn't mean that life gets easier, but that by the Spirit, community will be built up and balanced instead of broken down. And we find ourselves at Jesus' feet instead of on the throne. I love the way the message translation phrases what Paul says in verses 16 through 18. He says, My counsel is this, live freely, animated and motivated by God's spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. For there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with a free spirit. Just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. We can't serve our own self-desires and submit to the Holy Spirit. Walking in the Spirit means we daily make ourselves aware of the self-sacrificing love of Jesus and pray that the Holy Spirit would cultivate that love in our lives. As much as we wanna say to ourselves, like, be loving, we just, we can't. The freedom to love others is something that is grown over time by the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this is like super easy to do for the people that are like really easy to love, right? We often joke about um, those extra grace required people that we have in our lives. And here's a fun fact. If you don't know who that is in your community, it's probably you. (laughs) But really though, we all have people that we deem as extra grace required, but maybe we deem them as extra grace not because they need the extra grace, but we need the spirit to give us grace, to put ourselves aside and let Jesus love them through us. Walking in the spirit in order to love others is not always something that comes naturally too. It takes intentionality and it takes practice, especially for those people we like sort of hate. (laughs) So if you're like me at this point, you might be waiting for like a list I love lists that help me to know like what I can check off to just do to love better and to walk in the spirit, but having a list like that seems a little absurd to me, like, like hold the door open for 18 strangers at Hy-Vee, or buy your friend who's always cold some new socks, or compliment your mom. This isn't how the world works with relationships, right? We can't know how those things will come about, but we have to lean into the Spirit because life and relationships are unpredictable and we never know how God might use us in each situation. (coughs) But Paul helps us understand how we can start to notice if we are truly walking in the Spirit and not in our own self-centered way of living. He lays out the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are all fruits that aren't practiced in isolation, but the Spirit gives us these fruits to be practiced in community. But community is hard, and it's messy. I get it. But it's also in community where we're able to begin to see some real growth in ourselves as we live life in the Spirit together. So if you are living in community, this is a great opportunity to ask those people around you a few questions and ask them regularly. Ask them this, where am I flourishing in bearing the fruits of the Spirit? What does that look like in my life? And then ask them, where do I need to pray for the Spirit to cultivate fruit in me? As you begin to ask those questions regularly, you might begin to notice where you need to pray that the Holy Spirit would help you to love, and where a self-centered life might be getting in the way of that love. Maybe that's the prayer you need to pray right now. If you're noticing that you have yourself sitting on the throne of your life where Jesus should be, and you want to be free from that, we're just gonna take a minute. Paul is gonna come and sing over us and give us a chance to offer our lives to the God who loves us deeply. I've actually asked Paul to sing this particular song. Some of the lyrics say, we fall down, we lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus. And then it goes, we cry, holy, holy, holy is the lamb this song is a perfect reminder of our need to lay down our crowns or our self-centered and me-focused lives at the feet of Jesus and to honor and worship him instead.
1: We lay it all down at your feet today Help us to do so Help us to do so Lord. Oh, We fall down We lay our crown At the feet of Jesus, the greatness of his mercy and love. At the feet of Jesus, we cry. We cry, holy, 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 yes. We Jesus, the greatness of mercy and love at the feet of Jesus. And we cry, holy, holy, holy. Yes, we and that we cry every voice so we could
0: it can be very powerful to pray in community. So we have people who are ready to pray with you if you want to again or for the first time bring Jesus to the throne of your life. We take prayer very seriously here. We know it's not just us trying harder, but we're committed to praying that the Holy Spirit would be in every detail of our life. Also, if you need prayer for anything at all, Stick around and someone will be ready to pray with you. And as you go today, walk by the Spirit. You've been given freedom not to live a self-centered life, but to live a life centered in Jesus, who frees you to love your neighbor. Go in peace.